we're going to pick up right where we left off in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 15 through 23. And while you're turning there, let me bring you up to speed if you're just joining us. Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament that records a fantastic story of God using an ordinary man to do a truly extraordinary thing. They rebuilt a massive wall around the city of Jerusalem in only 52 days that provided both practical protection and also spiritual direction. This helped them get back online in their relationship with God to resume formal temple worship. And we are seeing this story unfold and teach us amazing truth about life, leadership, and our own relationship with God. So let me pray for the Spirit to help us today, and we'll get right to work. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate these texts to us. We pray that we'd be informed in our knowledge of Scripture, transformed by the renewing of our minds, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' good name, amen. Now, this passage is somewhat of a continuation of exactly what we saw last week, so there's a little bit of overlap in some of the lessons that can be learned. But the first principle I want to give us, I want to give even before we look at the text itself, and it is quite simply this, that Nehemiah models great leadership for us in this passage. Nehemiah models great leadership for us in this passage. Let's see the first example of it in the first verse. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Now, the enemies that he's referring to there would, of course, be Sanballat and Tobiah, this joker and penguin figure that had, or figures that had been after him to try to destroy this wall, to frustrate their plan, so on and so forth. And we found out last week that God has frustrated their plan instead and the initial sortie of their assault against Nehemiah seems to have receded. But Nehemiah is smart and wise, and he knows that he can't take his foot off the gas. So the thing that I love about what he's doing in here is, is actually what he doesn't do. He does not do a premature victory dance saying, we've conquered the enemy, let's throw a party, we're good to go. No, he understands that they oppose this work, they're going to continue to oppose this work, and so he's got to continue to press in to God for the spiritual resources he needs to lead, and also lead his people very well. It reminds me of a lesson that I had to learn very early uh, in my parenting journey. Uh, I can't remember actually which kid this was involved with, because we have so many, but I remember when we first started playing soccer, I observed this phenomenon among the little tykes and tykettes that were out there playing ball. What would happen is, is that the, the herd of people playing soccer, if you've ever seen this, it's just a little herd that follows the ball, they would come down and if there was a kid in the goal, they would kick the ball toward it and the kid would kick the ball out and then they'd be so excited that they deflected that first uh, shot that they would stop and they would do a dance and they would wave at their parents and they would be so excited and then immediately, right after that, the team would kick the ball straight past them while they were still dancing. And of course, at that point, they've lost a goal. And that is exactly what Nehemiah knew that he did not have time to do. He knew, just like I taught those kids back then, listen, soccer never stops. It's always moving. You always have to pay attention to the ball, so on and so forth. And Nehemiah models that leadership lesson for us 
so well here. He knows that these guys are not going to let up. That's why, even though God frustrated their plan, we all return to the wall and each to his work. Now, I think that you see a similar model of stick to within the life and ministry of Paul. You follow all of his journeys. You follow <coughs> all of the ups and downs, uh, all of the difficulties, and Paul just keeps on keeping on. It's because he has a spiritual resilience that the Lord has given him to be able to persevere and to hang in there and to, to stay the course. You see the same thing in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, we like to think about the time that he's tempted in Luke chapter 4 is when he really fended off the assaults of the devil. Of course, that's true. But what we forget is he also fended off the assaults of the devil for the entire rest of his life. That he wasn't just successful in that time of the wilderness of keeping the enemy at bay, but he was successful throughout his entire life. And so what we learn here from Nehemiah, what we see in the ministry of Paul also reminds us of yet another thing that we can love and prize and honor Jesus for in his act of obedience. But this is also a lesson that we should apply <coughs> in our own lives. Because here we are in 2021, still talking about the pandemic. And we are still having to persevere against all of the enemies that we have in the world. Historically, we've talked about those as the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, and they war against us to try to drag us away from Jesus and our commitment to him. And we need to be circumspect, and we need to be wise, and we need to follow <coughs> Nehemiah's good example here to not do a premature victory dance. So let me ask you a question. Is there any place in your life that maybe you've gotten a little lazy? Any place in your life that maybe you would say, you know what, I need to pay more attention here. <coughs> I need to be reminding myself that the world, the flesh, and the devil are against me and that we are still in the midst of this pandemic and we have to persevere with the grace that God gives us. Friends, let's be wise and let's be faithful as we see Nehemiah's example this morning. The second way that Nehemiah models great leadership for us is that he shows us significant problems call for significant solutions. Significant problems call for significant solutions. Look back in your text. It says, from that day on, half of my servants worked on constructions and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. Now, the spears that he's talking about here would be lances or long shafts used as thrusting weapons. You see that over in Numbers chapter 25, also 1 Kings 18. The shields would have been small and round and were made of wood or wicker work, uh, like Ezekiel 39 would have described. And the, uh, the, the coats of mail that we're talking about here, uh, you've probably seen those in a museum at some point, some type of uh, material. Uh, later in the Middle Ages, it was metal. Uh, it's unclear exactly what he's discussing right here that would have been linked together, that would have provided somewhat of an armor uh, protection. But what was very uh, obvious here is Nehemiah wasn't simply focused on the building project. He was also focused on protecting his people and, protect, uh, and protecting the, the work itself. So he had both a construction and a military mindset uh, that were necessary to make sure that this work can, would continue. Let's look on. It said, And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. 
<clears throat> those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And so the swords that were worn here, they were worn in a sheath. For Samuel 17 tells us that. Uh, they were hung on some type of a girdle. And the trumpet that is mentioned here uh, would have been a shofar or a ram's horn. And it would have been used to alert the other workers uh, that, that, that an attack was imminent. Uh, some of you guys have probably seen the movie uh, Wonder Woman. And uh, there, there's a horn that is blown there to, uh, to, to let the, all, all the uh, Amazon soldiers know, hey, uh, an attack is upon us and so on and so forth. That would have been the same kind of thing here. Uh, but it was also interesting to note that this same type of trumpet would be blown to mark the beginning of the Sabbath. And so again, Nehemiah is working on multiple levels here. He's doing construction work. He's also doing military protective work. And uh, of course, that this all has a great uh, religious and spiritual purpose. But I would also encourage you to, to notice here that the same way that Nehemiah was enmeshed with the people, he wasn't just a uh, director telling people what to do. He was actually involved in the work. That was true for the rest of his leaders uh, as well, as it says that they stood behind the house of Judah. So everybody had a part. Everybody had a part to play. They were all in this together, and they were co-laboring for the same uh, goal. But this notion here of the significant problem calling for the significant solution, I think there's a lot of meat for us to consider there as well. Let's say you find yourself listening to this today, and you are in some kind of ensnaring sin or addiction. The odds are you did not get there uh, overnight, and the chances are you were not going to get out of it overnight. Uh, the way that God heals us many times, though he can heal instantaneously and sometimes does that, most often it is a process. It is a coming out of. It is a uh, rehab, either spiritually or practically. And I think the fact that we see Nehemiah exercising such care and such wisdom and such a nuanced strategy for this nuanced problem, that gives us hope and it gives us encouragement that if God can lead that man to deal with this problem in this way, well, he can lead us as men and women uh, to deal with whatever problems we have in a similar way. And part of what we need to do is we need to make sure that we are taking full advantage of all the resources that are available to us, both inside the church and outside the church. And this is the kind of church that whatever it is that you're facing, whatever significant problem lay before you, uh, we're not afraid to jump in there and, and try to help as best we can, whether it's spiritual uh, or, or some kind of addiction or uh, financial problem, whatever it is, we're all on this journey together and we want to come up with significant solutions, multifaceted solutions to these multi-headed problems. That's exactly what Nehemiah is showing us here. I think it also can encourage us in the fact that God is not afraid of complex problems. And sometimes the reason that we sit in the darkness for so long, and sometimes the reason why we don't get the help that we need in a timely fashion, it is because we believe the lies from the enemy that maybe this is too big, even for God. 
Or maybe God is too busy to, to deal with me. Or maybe I brought some of this trouble upon myself and God doesn't, he doesn't want to deal with me in that. Friends, we need to dispense with those lies and we need to look at Nehemiah's example and see him build out this complex solution for this complex problem and be reminded that God is not afraid of complex problems. In fact, I think God does some of his best work in the midst of uh, complex problems. You may recall last week I told you Simon and I are working through the Gospel of Mark in, in our personal discipleship. And one of the, the stories that we just came to in the early chapters is, is when Jesus goes to the house uh, of the little girl who has died, and he says, oh, she's just asleep. And the people laugh at him. They mock him, and they say, this guy's crazy. He thinks this girl's asleep. She's dead. But what does Jesus do? He walks in there, very significant problem. <clears throat> the girl has passed away, and he brings forth a significant solution. He brings her back from the dead. And some of us need to hear that word this morning because we feel dead. We feel so ensnared by our depression, by our anxiety, by an addiction to pornography or whatever it is that, that you're involved in. And you need to know that problem is not too significant for the very significant grace of God. That death in your life is not so deadly that Jesus can't bring life from that death. And we need to hear that, and we need to be encouraged by the fact that there is no hole so deep that Jesus can't bring us out of. And we need to see the, the wisdom and the sustained solution that Nehemiah offers here, and we need to allow that to point us to the gospel. And the, the, the spiritual death that we're talking about here for some of us is legitimately spiritual death. Some of you who are watching this today, your plan to deal with your sin, to try to get yourself to heaven, is to simply try to be as good as you can and try to work your way there. But let me tell you what the Bible teaches this morning. That solution is not a solution. None of us can work our way to heaven. We are all like Lady Macbeth, in Shakespeare's Macbeth. There is a spot upon our hands that we cannot rub out. And the only way that we can be made right with God is to have the significant solution of Jesus Christ, perfect life, substitutes death, and glorious resurrection applied to us. We have to turn from our sin and trust in Christ, and Jesus has to make us alive. And friends, this significant problem that Nehemiah deals with, with a significant solution, it points us to the ultimate solution in the gospel. And so if you hear that today and you resonate with that in a surprising way, in just a bit, we're going to ask you to give your life to Christ, to turn from your sin, to trust in Christ, and see what only God can do in the midst of your spiritual plight. Now, look back in your text here. Uh, there's one more thing I want to point out uh, from this verse. It says, From that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And what I want to point out here is actually what is missing. Okay, What you also don't see Nehemiah doing here, he didn't do a premature victory dance, but he also didn't complain about how the circumstances were not optimal for his working conditions. He didn't go on and on about how these weren't trained craftsmen. 
He didn't harangue God and say, why didn't you give me some different people to uh, rebuild the wall? He didn't say, you know what? I really wanted uh, rigid tools from the Home Depot, the special selection, and I'm not going to work if I don't have them. <laughs> no, he took what he had and God used him. And that's one of the things that I love about Nehemiah. And that's our third principle today that he shows us that a sound biblical perspective assesses a situation as it is and not as we wish that it was. It faces things as they are and not how we wish they were. And friends, that's really important. And that's a really good word for us, again, still in this pandemic. Because I think every one of us, in some respects, would like to go back to 2019 when we weren't having to think about washing our hands and wearing masks and doing this and doing this and not doing this. All of us would love to be done with all that. But that's not where we are. Where we are is where we are. And this is still very much an issue. But part of Christianity is not sticking one's head in the sand and wishing it was different. It's facing things head on and calling upon the grace and the power and the wisdom of God to meet us right where we are so that we might be faithful in that moment, even if it's the moment that we didn't want, even if it's the moment that we most dreaded, even if it's the moment that we most feared or were most aggravated by. Friends, that's where God does some of his best work. And Nehemiah is a wonderful example of that, of being able to face things head on the way they are and not be paralyzed by the way that he wishes they were. And there's a lot of other examples of this in the Bible as well. Let me give you just a couple here. Uh, the, the, the one that, that explicitly pretty much says this is the story of Abraham as it is recalled in Romans chapter 4. Paul is talking about this. And Abraham, of course, had been made the promise that he would be the father <coughs> of many nations. And it says in verse 18, In hope he believed against all hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So let's understand this here. This old man <coughs> had been told he was going to be the father of many nations in the traditional way of making babies. And now he's saying, I believe that God is going to somehow answer this prayer. He is going to fulfill this promise, even though all these things are against us. That was a man who, just like it says here, he did not lose hope even though he considered his own body. Don't you love that balance there? Don't you love that wisdom there? Friends, that is something that is profound about Christianity. Uh, I don't know how much of a journey you've been on in studying other religions, but there is uh, the religion of Hinduism, for example. When it talks about suffering, uh, it, it talks about that, that, that the strife that we see in this world, 
the animosity that we see among uh, nations and so on and so forth, that, that, that all of this animosity is just an illusion. But in ultimate reality, everyone is kind of friends in the background. And I remember when I studied this, and I remember sitting down and actually talking to somebody about that who, who actually believed that, and just seeing that kind of <coughs> sticking one's head in the sand about this particular issue, it doesn't bring any lasting comfort. It, denial doesn't help move the ball up the field. And Christianity comes along and says, listen, no, there's great trouble in the world. There's great animosity in the world. The, the situation is worse than you even recognize, but there is still hope. There is Jesus who wants to deal with this broken world. There is a God who does love us and who does care and who wants us to face it head on so that we might experience his grace head on. Nehemiah knew that. Abraham knew that. Here's another example. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that. Daniel chapter 3, pick it up in verse 16. It says, uh, they've been questioned by the king and uh, basically indicted for their faith in God. And it says here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So again, that same perspective. We're going to face the situation as it is. We're going to declare that God is able. But we're also going to say, listen, but we don't know exactly what God's going to do. We don't know the mind of the Lord. And so we're going to trust him either way. And we're going to be faithful either way. And we're going to press on either way. Again, this mindset is biblical and practical. It's modeled by Nehemiah. It's modeled by Abraham. It's modeled by the three Hebrew children. And most importantly, it's modeled by Jesus. You think about this in the Garden of Gethsemane. <coughs> it says this. It says, uh, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. So again, Jesus assessing the situation as it is, declaring what he wished that it was, but submitting himself to the way that it is in reality. And friends, again, what a good word for us in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of the pandemic, because we do not want to be ostriches that stick their head in the proverbial sand because they become wonderful prey for a roaring lion that is going about seeking whom it may devour. We want to be people that face situations as they are and still look to God, that trust in God, that pray for what only God can do. And you know what? That's exactly what Nehemiah does. That's exactly how he leads his people. Look at this. It says, in the place when you hear the sound of the trumpet, 
rally to us there, our God will fight for us. He didn't say, show up, I'm going to give you this wonderful exposition on the greatness of my leadership and it's going to be okay. No, he said, God will fight for us. God will be our defender. The psalmist says God will be our shield. And friend, when we think about this, how can we not see the gospel? Because in the midst of our most hopeless situation, God brought the hope that we needed. In the midst of our spiritual death, God brings resurrection life and power. In the midst of having nothing to offer, what does God do? He comes and brings us everything so that we might roll our lives back up in glory to him. God will fight for us, and God will defend his people. Look back at verse 21. It said, so we labored in the work. So again, Nehemiah, the co-laborer, not simply the consultant. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, let every man pass his, and let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. And we think our jobs are hard. <laughs> this is a tough job. You're going to work and you're going to sleep in the same place. And just so you know what's on the line, if we get this wrong, they're going to kill you, they're going to kill your family, and they're going to exterminate this entire nation. All right, this, the weight of this task, the stakes could not be any higher. And yet, in the midst of it, they continued to persevere. It says, so neither I, <coughs> nor my brothers, nor the servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none took off our clothes, and each kept his weapon at his right hand. So the fourth and final principle that we need to see here is that Nehemiah shows us that we should never be surprised at the sustained difficulty of doing God's work. We should never be surprised at the sustained difficulty of doing God's work. Now listen, I could tell you many, many years worth of stories of seeing that as a pastor firsthand. But guess what? I'm not the only one who's doing God's work. If you were following Jesus today and you were seeking to grow in your faith in Jesus, you're seeking to manage your money in the way that the Bible talks about, you're seeking to raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, you're seeking to be ethical in your business practices and so on and so forth, you are doing God's work. <clears throat> you are seeking to advance the kingdom through what you're doing. And it's hard. And it doesn't let up, and it's difficult. What was the first thing we talked about today? That, that, that soccer never stops, so to speak. The same is true at the end of the passage as it is at the first of the passage. And so we need to know that. We don't need to be surprised by the uh, continued difficulty. And we need to continue to press into God for his spiritual and practical resource as we do this work. And listen... I know some of you are weary, you're discouraged for a variety of things and reasons. Some of you uh, are sick, and you've been sick for what seems like a long time. Trust me, if anybody understands that, I do. 
But we cannot lose heart because God is with us. And God has a plan and he has a purpose and he is doing his work within us and within our church and beyond our church and in your spheres of influence. And young mother, the next time you want to quit and you want to say, listen, my kids, I just can't do it anymore. Hang in there. The Lord is with you. Even in the sustained difficulty of the work, there is the sustaining grace of God. Husband, the next time you're leading your team at work and you're like, these people, they just cannot be led. They will not listen. This is a total mess. The Lord is with you. Don't give up. Trust him for whatever grace he has for you in that moment. Whatever it is that you're facing today, the sustained difficulty of the work is also met by the sustaining grace of God. And if he gave you what you needed to get through yesterday, why would he suddenly run out with what you need to get through today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day? <clears throat> and you know, part of how I know that is because Nehemiah isn't simply about Nehemiah. It is also about Jesus. See, in the midst of his ongoing and sustained difficulty, Jesus emerged victorious against his own Sambalat and Tobiah that never let up. Jesus was perfect in every way, in every thought, in every deed, in every action, in every mindset. Jesus never failed. And because of his perfection, we can go to him in our imperfection. See, Jesus endured and excelled in every way that we fail. And yet in the midst of all that, he still says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You want to be the type of leader that Nehemiah shows us that he was in this passage? One that understood that, it, that you couldn't stop to, to throw a victory party because the battle wasn't over? You look to Jesus. You want to be the kind of leader <coughs> that understands that significant problems call for significant solutions? We get that by looking to Jesus. We want to see the ability to continue to stay the course and endure? We look at Nehemiah's example but we rest in Jesus' empowerment. Friends, Jesus Christ is the true and better Nehemiah. He is the fulfillment of all these wonderful qualities that Nehemiah points us toward. And when we look to him and ask for his help, he doesn't turn us away. He doesn't cast us aside. He draws us close. He cares for us as if we were the only sheep in his flock. And I wonder today, as you hear this message, where do you most need his help? Where do you most need Jesus to care for you and your family? Where do you most need his healing applied to your wounds? Friends, wherever that may be, let's go to Jesus now and ask for his help. And let's see what only God can do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for everything that we can learn from Nehemiah. 
and everything that we love about you. We thank you for how you sustained him and gave him grace and gave him wisdom and how to lead in such an effective way. And Lord, we thank you for how it points us to you, the ultimate fulfillment of all these things. We pray that you would help us today. We pray that you would give us the grace to be able to seek the help we need in whatever area we need it. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.